Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everybody, to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Abby Duty and Curtis Wister, the blueberry and raspberry to my strawberry. How are you guys doing today? Good. How are you, Ben? I'm great. I'm great. We are, we're kind of tackling a little bit of a, of a different topic today, right? As I know, we've tackled a lot of where in retirement and why in retirement and how, but you know, none of those things really happen unless we can express ourselves, right? Unless we can actually bring something to light. We, we had a conversation with Bodie Simpson the other day, uh, the grief counselor, and she was talking about, you know, opening up around grief and until you get it outside of you, it's never real. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really great segue to to our show here today because it's not just around grief, it's around everything in our life. And that really life happens one conversation at a time. And if you never really bring those things out, you know, it, it's hard to live life. So really everything we do want is on the other side of a tough conversation. You know, maybe the problem here, which we see with our clients in financial planning, is sometimes we just don't know how to say something. Right. Is, yeah. is maybe we're embarrassed by feeling something. Maybe we don't know, know how to navigate a tough conversation with a loved one. Maybe we're afraid we're going to say something we're going to regret. Maybe we'll give our power away. Uh, maybe we'll damage a relationship. And, and again, for retirees, especially or pre-retirees, you know, that, that's a big thing of they're trying to kind of connect more, especially as we age. Connection is a big deal. So we were, we were looking uh, for someone that would really speak to this idea about communication, right? And, mm. and how does all get better? Even the three of us get better here. Yeah. So our, really our next guest I want to introduce here is an international award winning speaker. She's got a, she's an Amazon bestselling author and she has 19 years of experience in training consulting with clients such as you know these fortune 500 companies home depot starbucks canada comerica bank lockheed martin walmart and more so she travels the world she really does a lot of business coaching with executives but also with influencers and go-getters around kind of navigating these tough tough conversations so she has her masters in science from johns hopkins university but she's also been on uh, lots of different media. So you can you might see her from Bloomberg, NBC, Fox, ABC, others. And she's in California. we got a good theme with California going. Yeah. A lot of great experts uh, <laughs> in that state there. So we are going to uh, welcome to the show right now, Amy K. Hutchins. Appreciate you coming on, Amy K. Well, thank you for inviting me. And normally I say to your sandbox, but now I want to be in the fruit basket. I want to be in the fruit basket. <laughs> well, you know, that theme came up because uh, Abby was just bragging how she just uh, picked uh, six quarts of blueberries, which are, as you I know, did. main blueberries are the thing, right? They They're in season the right best. now. Mm-hmm. They are the best. Oh, Abby, I'm jealous. Yes. Now. Yes. Yeah. It was great picking. I know. My husband loves them. So he was like, get as many as you can. <laughs> so now we got to lobby Abby for blueberry pie. And I was like, yes. well, it was just strawberry season. We just had a few raspberry tarts going on. I was like, let's get in the blueberry area. Well, Amy Kay, I appreciate you coming on today. And one of the things when we kind of bring any guest on our show, we always want to introduce to our listeners really this idea about you, right, is, is kind of you as a person, you and your expertise and your vantage point. So I'd love to just have you open up just to start just in terms of where did you grow up? 
Like, what was that experience like? I grew up right outside of Washington, D.C. in an area called Bethesda. <laughs> and so I was raised in this really metropolitan, diverse, super educated, incredible conversation environment. But I have to tell you, I have to share this because I think this is really important with our listeners. For years, we drove up and we would drive to Bass Harbor and take the ferry over to Swan's Island. That's and right. we would stay on Swan's Island and unbelievable soft ice cream, lobster this, lobster that. So I have to tell you, I'm thrilled to be on your podcast. I have such fond memories of Maine. Well, thanks for sharing that because I know that that's kind of this universal uh, from us too for our listeners is, you know, only a third of our listeners are actually in the state of Maine. And what we hear from people outside of the state, and that's what they say is, yeah. I have such fond memories of being there and in nature and kind of seeing the ocean, seeing the mountains, experiencing kind of the outdoors. And what, what a great story you got there, that, that, that connection, because a lot of people have this really fond experience. That's, that's awesome. Well, it's such a beautiful place in the world, as you all know. And it's a beautiful place to retire, as you all know. So it's, <laughs> it's really great. And, and you know, it's interesting because the thread that comes through all of that is the conversations that I grew up with in my family. And so my parents were very curious. They were intellectually curious. They were very progressive in their thinking. And so that was always, we were always, it wasn't a debate environment so much as it was just, we were talking about things. And so that led me into a world of teaching. And then from teaching, I became a teacher trainer. Then I became a corporate trainer. Then I started my own training and consulting company. And at the end of the day, it all seemed to come down to communication. But that's just, at the end of the day, I am still a teacher. Like it is just in my core, heart of hearts, DNA. I love it because again, like kind of seeing people transform through education is a really impactful and powerful thing too, is, is one thing just to, to kind of practice it and do it, but also see the change. And again, from our perspective, you know, that's what we like too, is that we're able to kind of say, this is why things are happening. And and why is, I think the most important question that we feel we ask is, Mm -hmm. is getting to the heart of, of what's being done, but why is it being done? And then challenging assumptions to kind of get there. So I like that as a, as a thread with you is again, kind of the communication. end. so regards to, again, your, your kind of expertise around master communicators, your role here, what do you love about it? Like what, what was kind of, obviously you kind of have a family thing and you can always go kind of as your family is, but like what made you fall in love with that as a thread for, for something that I want to do this full time. And that's my purpose. And that's where I want to be. I think that I'm, I'm, I'm from a generation where sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt you. <laughs> Except that they did Ben, they hurt. <laughs> so I was like, wait a minute, that's not true. <laughs> and then we, I was told a myth when, and this is going back almost two decades ago, but somebody's like, you know, never go to bed angry, like marital advice, never go to bed angry. The worst advice ever. <laughs> Because you, you often say terrible things at, you know, 1130 at night when you're exhausted and you have no patience and you don't know what to do because you don't have the skills. And so that's usually when you say something that hurts a relationship or that you regret. And so one of the things that became very obvious to me in my coaching and consulting through the years was that we were given a voice box and it didn't come with instructions. Mm -hmm. And so you can be an extraordinary um, event planner, architect, veterinarian. You can be an incredible asset wealth management um, provider, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily know how to communicate. Mm -hmm. 
And I've always said, and Ben, you said this in your introduction, it was so kind. Life happens one conversation at a time. Mm -hmm. And the life that we want is on the other side of a tough conversation. And I just continue to prove that with all of my clients, that when they can successfully navigate a really tough conversation and turn it into a highly profitable one, it's such a win-win. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. a win for them as an individual, but it's a win for all their relationships and creating what it is that they so desperately want. Um, and life is really short. I mean, I really believe that too. I think life is short. So we right. got to maximize our, our time here for both our own journey and then to serve others. Sure. Yeah. Amy Kay, one thing I really like about what you've done, and um, I'll, I'll give you a plug for your book right here, is you know your book, and I'll put this on screen for those that are um, kind of seeing this on YouTube, is, is get it the five steps uh, to the sex salary and success you want. One thing I really like about what you've really done there is I think because, uh, again, I've kind of had coaching myself or, you know, I've experienced through kind of corporate training, like here's communication skills. And sometimes they can seem very pre-planned and robotic, right? It's this, you know, in this situation, you say this. And in this situation, you do that. And your response to thank you is never no problem. It's my pleasure because that's a positive spin and not a negative spin. And we need to be more positive. Those are tricks, right? Those are, those are mindset things to kind of get you there. But one thing that I really liked about your book in this case was, you know, I think there's this, all right, instead of doing this, here's where we can all go wrong. And then you go try this instead. Here's some magic tricks. And, but also here's how, what, where this whole conversation can go off the rails. So you can plan three and four and five steps ahead. So it's not, you know, I, I, I did step one, but you know, they didn't respond the way I thought they were going to respond. And now I don't know the next play in this playbook. And now it's way off the rails. So that's what I like about what you've done here in terms of your structure with your book. Cause I think it's, it's done a really great job of planning these things out. And I think the point that I've gotten out of this is, it's not trickery. It's more just being thoughtful around the communication, right? It's more of like, before I enter this and say this to you, again, realize the importance of what I'm going to say to you. And, and you kind of had this idea with a coach and a basketball player. And in the, the basketball player was, you know, very frustrated. She was benched, but she scored all the points and she helped win the game. But the coach was benching her for somebody else. And, and the dad was trying to get, well, how do I help navigate my daughter? And you kind of made the point of like, well, when I, when we signed up for basketball, I didn't realize we we're signing up for chess. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I love that. I was like, well, yes, yes. And some of these things is like, you get yourself into something. It's like, I didn't realize I had to look the second move, third move, fourth move, fifth move ahead in order to say, hey, you know, I need to think about this because of how important this is to me. And I want a good outcome in, in, in the statement that good outcomes mean I need to plan for it. So again, I, that's what it, I just want to make sure that, that that's kind of in here about I think that was a really good outcome of your book as, as we, what you're kind of describing there. Oh, thank you, Ben. That actually means a lot. I think that one of the things that's been really helpful as a part of my practice is that we don't script and that we don't want to sound robotic, whether that's a sales script, you know, on a and sales team. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've done sales training for years and I don't believe in scripting, but I do believe in preparation and mm-hmm. I do believe in a back pocket, brilliant one-liner to keep a conversation on track. And I think mm-hmm. that it's actually a form of respect when you say to somebody, this conversation matters enough to me that I actually prepared for it. Again, not trying to control everything and certainly not trying to control you, but trying to make sure that I communicate clearly. 
that mm -hmm. I articulate without stepping on your toes or offending you or the inverse that I speak up for myself and I mm -hmm. honor the worth of my own voice. And also within that is, I think a lot of the phrases you, you position there is, it's really about giving the ability back to the, the other person you have in the relationship or conversation with. You have the ability now to listen to that true and honest opinion without in, like influencing it with, you know, some maybe negativity or bad emotion or anger or, you know, judgment or those sorts of things. And you kind of talk about ego hook, hooks there about things that kind of spring the hook. And all of a sudden now I'm, you know, the other person that is you, you just addressed is now upset. They're angry. They're defensive. They're going to push back. And we are now off to the races. So, oh, and, yeah. it's, and it's such a lovely race too. <laughs> yes. you know, it's, but it's, it's as if I, so here's a great example. So if I come to you, Ben, and I say, oh, Curtis is terrible. You know, Curtis isn't doing his job. I think I'm having a conversation with you about Curtis, but inside your own head, you're thinking, but I hired Curtis. I think Curtis is great. So are you telling me that I'm an idiot? And so when I don't think it through ahead of time, I don't take the time to think, wow, how is Ben going to possibly react to this? How might Ben misinterpret my comment? How do I put guardrails around that? That's not about manipulating anybody. That's about being thoughtful enough to say that this conversation matters to me. My relationship with you matters to me. I'm going to put a little time and effort into making sure I choose my words wisely. Mm -hmm. And then with that is getting on the same side, right? Is this, yes. It doesn't become you know, Ben versus Abby talking about Curtis, it's, well, Ben, Abby, and then eventually Curtis getting on the same team on, hey, here's something that we want to bring to light. How do we all fix this so we all have a good result and all have good outcomes? So again, in our case, maybe clients get a better result because of it. And again, so I think that's that's where, again, I've really enjoyed your book and that's on my first read. So I will I'll definitely give it a second read because I'm sure there's things I can pick up even more. But I'll, and we'll put links in our show notes for this as well. Yep. So people can go and check it out and, and see the link on Amazon to go purchase it. Um, I can also see where in our uh, practice with our clients, this is something we can insert with them and say, hey, you got to read this book because, you know, I, I think these are things that we can all do better. And let's start on a positive note instead of a negative note as well. So I think that's really, that's really great. Thank you. I, Amy Kay, I want to ask you another question really about your bio. And, and one of the things that, you know, just anecdotally, um, you know, I, I know a lot of, I think in society right now is, is there's a, there's a fight for kind of making sure that we have equal rights and we're, we're, we have representation and, you know, in, I, I can just see in lots of different there, industries, there's a lot of tradition and there's a lot of male dominated, uh, positions and lots of things, right? And, and I'm looking at your bio and going, geez, Home Depot and Lockheed and geez, talk about the, the guys, guys industries of this stuff. Right. And here's Amy Kay kind of getting into it. And not only just that you're, you're, you're kind of consulting with leadership there, earning their respect, uh, receiving respect. But can you talk about your, uh, your kind of journey about how you got noticed as an expert in communications, but also then getting valued in, in terms of your role that you're kind of carving out in the industry as well? Because I think that's a fascinating part because it's always about struggle, right? I, I learned the hard way, Ben. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> We've all said things that don't come out quite right or that mm -hmm. we regret. But one of the things that I found very quickly was that some of the trite things that we've heard, like mirroring back to somebody is very effective. Mm -hmm. And I found that when I really focused, listened in and became a witness to that person. So it was, it was not becoming a power play. It was becoming mm -hmm. a connection play. 
everybody wants to feel accepted, respected, understood. Everybody wants a witness. And so if you said to me, you know, I was really frustrated by this project, then I say, hey, Ben, you know, it sounds like you were frustrated because of, am I right? Did I get that right? And they'd be like, oh my God, you got it right. You just nailed it. And so what, what very quickly people found was that I listened and I also spoke with brevity. And it was something that I noticed very quickly. And it's going to, uh, I can get away with this because I'm a woman. I noticed that the more succinct I was, the more the men in the room listened to me. Because when I spoke, I didn't go birds, flowers, trees, plants. I was really like, hey, here's my message. Let me get to what I'm talking about and put it on a bumper sticker. And I even got complimented on that one time by my CEO boss who just said one day, he's like, I just like that you speak very little. And I was like, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm going to let that one go. But the idea was that if you can really show up and be a witness to somebody else and mirror what they're saying, validate what they're saying, empathize with them. It is a brilliant technique, especially as we talk to our customers, especially as they go through transitions. They've got their own fears, their own concerns. When we say, oh, you shouldn't feel that way or, oh, I'll take care of that or don't worry about that. What we've really done is we've dismissed the dignity of their experience. And when we honor the dignity of their experience by empathizing with them, previously validating, and first and foremost, mirroring, we show them that we're actually paying attention. And, and I think those are, I think those are very key, key lessons. And those are things I want to explore more with you here today is because I, I think a lot of, a lot of what we'll kind of get into with our questions today, it's really focused it on, you know, here's somebody in retirement as a couple, or, you know, here's my relationship with them. And, and, you know, I think a lot of this is experiential to I've never really retired before and all of a sudden now all that time I was away and I was, we were working, we were doing our things. We would reconnect. Maybe we wouldn't reconnect. Maybe, you know, maybe we were just kind of in our zone and rhythm and all that, but you know what? Now we do have a big change in our life. We're now home with each other. Especially, you know, I know we're recording still kind of in the COVID-19 era here. It's like we're home a lot more and we're forced to kind of be in each other's space more. So with that, you know, there's more potential for communication to go awry, right? And if we're not being thoughtful and, and really kind of practicing, again, as you said, empathy, mirroring, uh, kind of again, even verbalizing some of your distress, in, in putting things out there, but in an, in a way that is productive instead of not productive, man, you're going to see lots of things that we had a, we had a divorce attorney on and she's saying, Hey, by the way, uh, silver or gray, uh, gray divorce is a big trend now. And we're there. See, it was something like less than 10% 10 years ago. Now it's over 20% of yeah. people that are entering retirement are getting divorced. That's well, really why? sad. It's I, sad. It's and, sad. It is sad. And, but why? And it, I think it's right to what we're trying to address today is, well, communication is broken down and it goes down a bad road and there's hard feelings that continue to happen. And it feels like we can't repair it. And I think that's what we're trying to avoid, right? Is, you know, if we go, go down a negative road, let's try to get this back on track and get, or this is a great inflection point for you both. Let's, let's focus there. It's really a practice. And I think anything is, whether you show up as a loving practice, whether you show up as a leadership practice, whether you show up as a fitness practice, it's all a practice. And the, mm -hmm. and what we, what we practice doesn't become perfect. What mm -hmm. we practice becomes this permanent habit. And that's a big distinction, especially around communication skills. And so 
you know, if, if Abby, let's just role play. Abby, you and I are, are sisters and we've gone through all this. We're now getting older and we've been kind of, you know, just sort of biting at each other over the years. Then we, we tend to go there very quickly because it's a mm-hmm. default role that we both play. Mm-hmm. When couples get together or siblings get together at family time, we pick up those roles again mm-hmm. and, we, and we fall into those patterns. What we want to do is we want to break the pattern with the new practice and somebody has to be mature enough to go first. And that's always the case. Whether you're talking to a therapist, you're talking to a family planner, you're talking about a marriage counselor, somebody has to be mature enough to say, I want to hit the reset button. Mm -hmm. And that's, by the way, a great thing to even verbalize. So if I came to you, Abby, and I said, hey, sister, you know, I love you dearly, but this is not fun anymore. Mm -hmm. You deserve to feel good. I deserve to feel good. So what are we going to do to both feel good? Let's break this pattern. And then you're going to, the first phase is you're aware of it. So you're aware of your sniping. And then you have to actually start to realize, okay, well, then I need to respond differently. I'm not my reaction. I'm bigger than my reaction. I have control over my reaction. So let me take a deep breath and say something different. Mm-hmm. And that's really important for couples, especially, is to realize that they're they're not bad people. They're caught in habits that are no longer helpful. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I want to maybe kind of shift a, a little bit on you, Amy Kay, in terms of this. And I I kind of had a well-scripted question and I, I'm trying to figure out how to kind of get this here. So I, I you know, one of the, one of, kind of a backstory, my wife and I really love the band train, right? So, and it's a, you know, pretty like unabashedly, like very neutral band and whatever, but we, that's just kind of one that we like. And one of the, one of the songs, uh, and of course we're based in San Francisco. So I wanted to bring them up too, in terms of California connection with you, but We've seen them in concert a bunch. We actually in, in Bangor, actually, we have a really nice waterfront concert. It's right on the river and it's a really great experience. You're, you kind of have the open air in the main and you hear these bands come in. So it's, it's really a kind of a lovely place. And, but always one of their shows is, uh, is the song Marry Me, right? And, and what's really kind of interesting about the, sh- the, that song is if you really listen to lyrics, it's all about the idea of here's a coffee shop. This, this person sitting in it. He witnesses basically love at first sight. This person's walked into the coffee shop and now he's like gone forward 50 years of here's the life we're going to lead together. I'm going to love you. We're going to have all these really great experiences in life. But it, the, the key word of the key phrase of the song is if I ever get the nerve to say hello in this cafe, right? Like, okay, life would be great, but I don't even say hello to this person that I visually am in love with right now. So I think that's the point about communication, right? Is there some things are big stakes, some things are maybe just monotonous, but it, it, there's always these big things. I'm going to put Curtis on the spotlight here. Uh, he just got engaged a few months ago. Congratulations, uh, Curtis. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, of course, his now fiance was just waiting for the life to begin, waiting for him to ask, of course, right? Yeah. But that's a big question, right? Is like the lots of pressure and, and where do I start? And I don't want to offend her by doing it this way versus that way. I mean, I, the, the point of me bringing up obviously Curtis's experience, and I don't want to out too much of their kind of private life of how he <laughs> proposed, but there's so much big stakes with that, with that one question, right? With that one conversation. And we approach it that way. But what, one of the things we don't do is approach maybe other conversations that way. And, but every one of them, every conversation we have really dictates who we are and how people view us because of how we conduct ourselves. So I want to ask you just to kick things off really in terms of the, our audience. What's the biggest tip that you can offer to help us improve us as retirees than how we approach these life conversations? I have, I have several things that I would say. First is that 
we are all more in common than we have differences. And so to realize that your desires might actually manifest in a different, like, hey, I want to, I want to retire with a boat or I want to retire with a house on the lake or I want to retire and travel the world. All of those things might be different in their manifestation, but we're all common in saying that there are things that we desire for how we want to retire or how we want to live or how we want to be or how we want to be treated. And those things are more in common than they are different. When it comes to these really tough conversations, one of the things that I think that's always important to remember is that your happiness is your choice. You are not responsible for waiting for people to make you happy, nor are you responsible for making other people happy. And this is a really hard thing for couples to grasp because it's a little existential. But one of the things that I think that's really important is that when you get married, and Curtis, again, congratulations, <laughs> you cannot want happiness for your wife more than she wants it for herself. And I, and I think that that's so profound that we're, we're responsible for how we go about it. And so whether Curtis is asking somebody to marry him or they're deciding to have a baby, these conversations about, does this bring me joy? Does this energize and fuel me? And so one of the things, I lived in China for three years, Ben, and they have something called double happiness at their weddings. And double happiness is that if Curtis shows up as a happy individual and his bride shows up as a happy individual, they will have double happiness, but they can't make the other person happy. It's an individual responsibility. And what where the connection in that is communication is that we have to realize that it's okay to ask for what it is that we want. It's okay to say, I need to be physically fueled. I need to be emotionally connected. I want to be mentally focused. I want to be spiritually aligned because that makes me a high performing, energetic person. And so if these are things that in your core values allow you to be physically fueled and emotionally connected and mentally focused and spiritually aligned, then these are things that you want to ask for. And one of the things that I find, especially with people who are entering retirement, is they don't really know what they want. Mm -hmm. So right. even in the book, I talk about the fact that it's like you say on the surface that you just want, you know, you want to be financially secure. Well, what does that really mean? Right. Like, and what, and how does that make you feel? And it's like, well, that makes me feel safe. And I'm like, well, then how do you start feeling safe right now? Like, what are some decisions that we can put into place right now? And so with all of these big conversations, I think that it's about getting really clear on what it is that you want and then taking action that allows you to ask and get what you want. Yeah. And I love what you just said there, because we have one couple that's a client of ours. And when we ask about their, their kind of money experience, right? So what, what was the earliest relationship you've had with money? Well, both of them kind of talked about a similar experience about how their parents really squandered all of their money. And they remember, um, you know, somebody coming and, and taking their car away when, when they were eight years old and they had, that was their only family car. That was one way they could get to work. And they had somebody repossess their car. And they talked about how, you know, money and not being careful with money led to a lot of negative life experiences for the parents. And they can remember being cold in Maine, especially. They can remember being uh, hungry. And they, they'd go, that has carried with me my whole life. And what scares me in retirement is if I start seeing my bank account go down, I've worked so hard to save all this, these resources. It doesn't matter if it's $2 in your bank or a million or whatever it is. What it represents to them is going backwards meant 
insecurity, more risk of being to that place where I never want to be again. And so again, asking the question, getting the verbalized, getting them to project that out was, was a really big deal. So I, again, it's, it's more about the what it's, it's that, well, why are we feeling this way? Why are we communicating it? And until they put it out in the air, well, we never knew that. And now we're going to fight as a relationship of, I'm trying to get you to spend your money to live a better life in retirement. And you're fighting me saying, no, uh, I can never spend this because if I ever spend it, then here's here's where I go. And that would be a kind of a not productive relationship. So again, I again, communication skills, like it's huge. I think in, in financial planning, and this is gonna this is gonna sound like a very weird connect, but it's stay with me for a second. Sure. <laughs> with a financial planning conversation or in a marriage, one of the best conversations that you can have is what is your relationship with money? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't mean as in, oh, I have plenty or I don't. I mean, mm-hmm. actually, what is your relationship with money? So when I'm, when I'm coaching CEOs and I'm, and I'm just starting in my relationship with them as a coach or consultant, I will literally say to the CEO, if money's a person, describe the person either as a type of person or a celebrity, and then give me two sentences to describe that person. Mm-hmm. If it's a place, you know, a geographic place or a type of place, give me a place where money hangs out or how you see money. So, and then we do it with an, an inanimate object. So person, place or thing. And then what you get very quickly is what's actually their relationship with money. So I'll give you Mm -hmm. a real example. I'm talking to a CEO one day and I said, well, if money were a person, what would it be? Is like, it's a magician. And I said, well, give me a little bit of information on the magician. He's like, yeah, it's like they have this trick, but you never really know how it works. And I'm like, oh, isn't this interesting, interesting. Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, if it's a place, what kind of place would it be? It's like, well, a far off place that's very exotic. And I'm like, okay, so he doesn't feel that money won, he understands it or that he can access it, right? Mm-hmm. And so what you start to realize is that that relationship with money has such a deep effect on all the decisions that they're going to make about it going forward. And here's what you really, this is a great, it's a magical phrase. I put this in the book and I'm going to share it here because it's so powerful. I have this story in my head. So it's a beautiful phrase to change your story and not accuse somebody else of being good, bad, wrong, or having judgment. So when you're talking to your client, you can say, oh, well, I have this story in my head that you think money is really hard to figure out and it's really hard to get and keep. And they'd be like, oh my gosh, like you're a mind reader. Or they'll correct the story mm-hmm. because it's just a story in your head. So you're not saying you you don't believe in money. You don't know how to control money. You think it's like you're not accusing them of anything. You're saying, hey, I have the story in my head. It's a fantastic way for a financial planner to start a very personal conversation without like a cheesy what keeps you up at night about your retirement. Mm-hmm. But also not being judgy, right? I think that's the right. other part is like, because right. you go, you know what, you are not looking at this right, or you need to, we need to educate you about thinking of it this way. And it's not that it's not saying, well, I'm right, you're wrong. Right? It's this, well, here's what I hear you saying. And here's where I think the story's going and having them. So yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. That's awesome. Amy Kay, I want to take a second. Uh, so we kind of talked about this in the intro a little bit, but I want to focus in on that that insight idea that you have that, you know, life happens one conversation at a time, you know, and we just talked about a big decision in my life that happened through a conversation. Um, so can you just kind of dive into that and kind of kind of how you came up with that, that thought and, and insight and then kind of what it's meant to you throughout your life? I think that there are conversations that are worth having and there are some that are not. 
And I think that every time I was in a coaching situation, whether it be a CEO of a company or a personal um, scenario, it always came back to what somebody was saying or not saying. Mm -hmm. It was a lack of connection or it was Mm -hmm. a power play. And so every Mm -hmm. time I, I work a lot with CEOs and so I'll often say, you know, do you want to really lean in and understand this person? Do you want to be more understood or do you need to draw a line in the sand? Like, is this connection or is this a power play? Mm-hmm. And, I'll, and I'll give you a great example because Curtis, I'm not a family therapist. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And I say this all the time. I do not do social therapy. I, I'm not a counselor. And yet every single time I, that I'm into a coaching relationship, the CEO will end up after we've had all these professional business related conversations at some point, they'll be like, Hey, Amy K, do you have five minutes? And yeah. I'm like, Oh, oh <laughs> marriage or kids, marriage or kids. Like, here we go. So I'm talking to Marty. Names have been changed. I'm yep. talking to Marty and Marty says, Hey, Amy K, do you have five minutes? And I was like, Oh, marriage or kids. Kid. And I was like, I'm going to go with marriage. And he says, and I quote Curtis, I've been married for 30 years. And I was like, yes, I just won my bet. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> then he says 29 pretty miserably. And your heart just hurts, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is just, life is too short for this. Yes. So then he says, can you fix her? And I was like, okay, first of all, I am not coaching her. First of all, I'm coaching you. No, she does not need to be fixed. But I asked him a great question. And I said, who do you need to be? Who do you need to become to be worthy of a 30-year marriage with a best friend? Mm. Who do you need to become that you're the person that somebody wants to chase around the globe for another 30 years? Who do you want to be that somebody wants to chase around the bedroom, the back lake, you know, to have a great relationship with? You could have heard a pin drop. Yeah. And what's what's so fascinating and what I love about this story is that it comes down to communication, the conversations that you have internally with yourself, the conversations that you're having in that marriage that you're having with your adult children at that point. Mm-hmm. And so over the course of the next three coaching calls, we didn't worry about his business. Mm-hmm. We focused on who he was as a person and how he was playing and mm-hmm. who he needed to become. In other words, who did he have the potential to live up to be? Mm-hmm. Like, who did he have that potential to be? And sure. here's the fun thing. After, after about three, I don't want to exaggerate. So after three and a half, maybe four weeks max, he calls me and he says, Amy Kay, I'm having the best relationship of my life. And it was so great because it showed you that he wasn't wrong. His wife wasn't wrong. What he needed to do was change his behaviors and how mm-hmm. he could only do that was to start with the, the conversation he was having with himself. Yeah. Mm. That's great. Um, so kind of shifting gears again. So a lot of us, we feel a lot of fear and anxiety, right? And we turn that into barriers and obstacles that don't really allow us to do things that maybe we want to do, right? So often we hear, I can't tell that person how I feel. Um, I can't feel like I can express myself or I don't even know how to really get where I want to go. Um, so what advice would you give somebody to overcome those fears and anxieties in, you know, stressful conversations? I think you have to own it. I think that one of the things that I encourage people to do, Abby, is to actually say that at the beginning of a conversation. Mm-hmm. This is hard for me mm-hmm. or this is awkward for me. This is a difficult topic for me and I care about it yeah. or and it matters to me or our relationship is important to me. And then you say, so I want to see it through. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people, especially older generations, because their, their throats might get tight or their chest might get stiff and they, 
or they're, they'll get a little red in the face, they get embarrassed. And, and what I, I encourage people to take away is that that's just your body telling you that this matters. Right. And so a lot of people, especially men, feel like they have to apologize for it. Like, I, I don't want to talk about this because I, you know, if, if I get a little teary eyed, right. you know, I don't want to go there. And, and what I right. really encourage men to do is say, that's just a visible effect that, that you care. Right. Never apologize for your throat getting tight. You're, you're, um, you're getting verklempt. You're maybe your eyes tear up. Mm-hmm. When you're able to communicate, like when you can get your voice back, just say, clearly this matters to me or mm-hmm. clearly I care. And one of the things that I'll do in the flip is that people are only going to be vulnerable if it's safe. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got a relationship where people have been vulnerable in the past and it hasn't been safe, you can't expect them to be vulnerable until you make it safe. And so you do that in small ways by affirming the person, by being a safe space on the innocuous stuff so mm-hmm. that we can start to reset and start talking about the more important stuff. But nobody's going to share like they're deep, dark, I've always wanted to do this, but I think it would be silly or judged if you've been judging them for the last 20 years. Right. And so the very first thing that I tell people who maybe come from that background is that start with the innocuous stuff mm-hmm. and make it safe for somebody to share. So literally, let's just model it on something really silly because I think this is important. So Abby, what's one of your favorite things to have for dinner? Homemade pasta. Oh my God, that homemade pasta, that's going to make you so fat. Oh my God, I can't believe you even said that. See, I didn't make it safe for you, right? Right. right. So the next time I ask you a question, like, you know, what, what's your favorite game to play? You're going to be like, I ain't, I, I know your game, right. you can, and I don't want right. to play it, right? <laughs> right. But if I lean in and I say, oh my God, pasta, that sounds amazing. Like, are you a pesto girl or are you a, a red sauce girl? Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, yes, yeah. I'm a pesto girl. See, now I'm like, oh my God. So I just bought fresh basil yesterday because I'm making pesto today. True story. Mm-hmm. And so now I've made it safe. You, you're not going to be judged. And, and that sounds so trite, except that it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. This is how safety is built by mirroring back to you that you are accepted, respected, and understood. And now mm-hmm. I'm going to validate you by saying, wow, it sounds like you might even be a really good cook, Abby. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so, and then when I empathize with you, it, it's like, wow, I can just imagine that you and your husband are going to have a great Italian meal in the future, mm-hmm. right? Or blueberries yeah. for dessert <laughs> and some leftover for us in the office, right? Exactly. Right. Yes. <laughs> but I think that this is really important. So even though we're using kind of a silly example, it's a relatable example to the listeners right now that it's important to say, this is difficult for me. This is awkward for me. And it matters to me. I want to see this through. Mm-hmm. And in order for somebody to do that, we have to be accepting that they're having their own experience. We're going to validate and honor their own experience. And one of the worst things that I see people do is like hold up the hand and be like, that's not at my experience or I don't like pasta. And then you're like, oh, we didn't yeah. connect. Right. Yeah. And it's all about connection. I want to share a story uh, with you, Amy Kay, that we, I think we've shared this story a few times throughout the life of our podcast series. So we have a retired couple, uh, husband was in the Air Force, always wanted to fly a plane or be a pilot. Never worked out in the Air Force. He just never got stationed to be a, or, uh, yeah, never got stationed to be a pilot. Um, chose, you know, various places that he could be near the airfield still throughout his time serving. And it came up in a conversation with us actually in a, in a meeting, just kind of out of the blue talking about what he always wanted to do. And that dream was to fly a plane. And kid you not, the wife goes, 
you've never told me that. Right there. Here they are, retired. So I guess what I'm asking you is, how would you counsel someone like that if you could to share those goals or that aspiration throughout that relationship throughout his entire life and had never shared or throughout their marriage? You know, I think we mentioned earlier knowing the worth of your own voice. So can you just kind of share kind of how you would approach that? I think that there's, you know, there's a myriad of reasons why people don't share. Mm-hmm. It can be childhood trauma, like we talked mm-hmm. about earlier, something that that's horrific that happens that then creates this story or this belief system. It might be that he didn't feel safe with her. He might have felt like it was embarrassing or he might have felt shame that, you know, he could never do something never that he wanted it. to do mm-hmm. um, for his own volition mm-hmm. um, or his own barriers. You know, so sometimes um, I've I've known men and women who've had dreams to do things, but then they didn't have either the, enough of the correct eyesight or, mm-hmm. you know, or their, they had a heart murmur that kept them from doing something in the service. And so there can, there can be shame. Shame is a very complex emotion, but it can mm-hmm. limit us in so many ways. And so one of the things that is really important for couples as they get older is to not react when something is finally shared. Mm-hmm. And so it's very understandable that she's like, Oh my God, you never told me that. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then to move right into, how might we make this possible for you? And, and to show that you're aligned. So how might we is a magical phrase? And it means that we're going to co-create a better future together. So when somebody says something like, hey, I, you know, I've always wanted to do X. And we're like, oh, my God, you've never shared that. Moving right into, well, that makes sense. Well, of course, you, you love planes and you always like to stop at airports. So, of course, I understand this. Mm. Um, let's how might we make that happen now? Mm-hmm. What often happens to the detriment of the couple is that the person who wasn't told now feels left out mm-hmm. and shut out mm-hmm. and goes in a backward focused conversation. So it would be like, Curtis, we've been married for 40 years. Why didn't you tell me? And what, what kind of person does that? And right. how, how close are we? Curtis, this is ridiculous. And so what <laughs> happens is, is we compound the shame and the judgment. Mm-hmm. What we a step back and say, well, there's clearly a reason why this person hasn't done this or shared this. And there's a technical term called a a competing commitment. And a competing commitment is the reason why we don't share something. Mm -hmm. There's a payoff to not sharing it. Mm -hmm. So the payoff, the competing commitment is I don't have to be embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I don't have to say that I feel less than or that I wasn't courageous enough to speak up before. And so when we can, as listeners, step back and realize, especially when we're talking to somebody about their own financial planning, you've got to realize that there's reasons behind the choices. There's reasons behind the actions of where they are today. And again, I'm I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's so important. Instead of judging them, when we connect with them and say, how might we make this happen? Now you're an ally to them. Right. Right. And I want to point out too is there's like one page of the book that just really spoke to me and why why i'm saying that is you know a lot of our client base it's it it feels like the majority of them are first time wealth right is they've never actually experienced having a, a certain amount of money before and and they have a really hard time translating that into then what does it mean to me and what does it mean we can do now and that page of the book one of the things you're talking about was self limiting beliefs and thoughts which a lot of people have, I think the group that we work with a lot have those feelings a lot. And, you know, just to give a few of them that I'm not worthy of my wants. I'm not good enough to ask for this. I'm not smart enough to make that happen. Uh, I'm not meant for more. I'm not allowed to ask those sorts of things. I think those are, those are the, what Abby and Curtis just explained in like the last two questions are those are the thoughts I think we're seeing a lot and we're hearing a lot of, 
and to peel back that onion on them and to say, let's explore it. That again, we're not therapists and we're not trained to be therapists, but we're trying to figure out the money to the life thing and how to make it work. So I thought that was a really kind of great page, just kind of the follow up to what uh, those two last questions were, because I, I think that was applicable uh, right to that group. One of the things that I've noticed with my coaching clients is that almost all of their limiting beliefs when you, whether it's, I mean, it can be about anything, Ben, it always, it literally rolls down to, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough fill in the blank. I'm not good enough to make this financial goal. I'm not smart enough to run this business. I'm not good enough. I don't have the resources or the creativity or the time. And one of the things that I think that's fascinating to me is I always talk to my CEOs about it's time to leave the hood. And that's an expression that I use. It's time to leave the hood. And what I mean by that is some of us are lucky enough to be raised by an adult, a parent, an aunt, an uncle, the community, church, synagogue, where somebody says, Abby, you're amazing. Curtis, you are brilliant. Ben, you're going to be a rock star at whatever you choose to do. And they're very affirming in our ability to grow and do whatever we want to do. There are other children who I say, Abby, you're not very good at math. I, I really think you should give math up. It's just not your forte. Curtis, you know, you're just not as kind as you, as other people. So maybe, maybe you should grow mushrooms in a lab, you know, um, or I'll, or I'll say to Ben, like, Ben, who do you think you are? Like, like, why are you trying to achieve all that? Like, you just need to go do your, like, don't rock the boat. Mm-hmm. And what we don't realize as children is that those messages have nothing to do with us. Mm-hmm. They have everything to do with the stories, the background, the baggage, the insecurities of the person saying them, but we're too little to know that. Yeah. And so when we, when we get, when we become older and we're still carrying these false limiting beliefs around, I'm the first person to say, well, who told you that? Well, and, and you, and you chose to believe it because why? Because they're just somebody in your life, not because it had any truth to it. And so when, when we're faced with retirement, there's a lot of doubt about money. There is a lot of mixed messages about money in our system. Money doesn't grow on trees. You don't need a college degree to make money. It's like, ah, which is it? You know? And so what we don't get is a sense of security. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts. And I'm not blowing smoke at you guys. I think it's one of the greatest gifts that you all do is that you allow people to develop a healthy relationship with money, feel good about how they control, spend and save their money and then show them all the possibilities with money because money is just energy. That's it's right. just energy. That's all it is. It's energy to do the things that they want to do. If I can go back to it, to being physically fueled, being emotionally connected, being mentally focused and spiritually aligned. Money's just energy. And you guys do a brilliant job of resetting that story. So getting back to the kid thing. um, So we have um, a lot of clients who may struggle with their relationship with one of their kids, right? Especially if they're grown and have a spouse. I know. Can you believe it? It's so strange. So who there's friction between maybe the son-in-law or daughter-in-law and the parents, right? And so over time, this relationship has degraded. There's friction. There's tension. How would you suggest going about starting a conversation to help break down those barriers and maybe help to kind of repair the relationship between? all parties. So that's a four hour counseling session. No, um, I think if I were to, if I were to share something that I think would be really helpful right now, it's three magical phrases. There are three phrases that I see heal a lot of wounds and heal a lot of broken relationships. And the first is, might we agree? Mm-hmm. And that, that, those three words are fabulous. So let's just say you're fighting about politics. You're fighting about 
something that's gone on in the family. We'll go with your um, son-in-law example. I would say to the son-in-law, like, might we agree that we both love Abby? Or might we agree that um, we're doing all of this to like have the grandchildren have a better life? Like, might we agree, like fill in the blank on something that you know that you're going to agree with. And it, it could even be, you know, might we agree that it would be really good for all of us to go forward with less tension and more mm-hmm. grace toward each other. So it could even be a philosophical how we want to play going, like might we agree, mm-hmm. but find something that like is going to be an instant yes. So mm-hmm. even if it's sort of like, you know, might we agree that we all love this football team? You know, it mm-hmm. can be something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But the might we both agree says that we're not caught in total failure. Like we don't, we don't disagree about everything. And then I love the idea of Abby. So let's hit the reset button. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times therapists will use the analogy of a, um, a ball of twine mm-hmm. and they'll say, we've got so much history that this is knotted, right? That this is gonna, it's gonna be a, a hard thing to start to pull the threads out and unweave this, but let's do that. So mm-hmm. rather than making it even more knotted, let's right. start working and let's hit the reset button. And that, t- and again, it takes a mature person to say, first, I want to hit the reset button. Might we agree? Mm-hmm. And then the third magical phrase that I love, this might be one of my all time favorites. It's a part of me. Mm-hmm. And this can absolutely change a conversation. So I would say to you with a negative emotion, a part of me is upset. A part of me is disappointed. A part of me is frustrated or a part of me is angry. Like whatever emotion you're feeling, mm-hmm. but you take out the absolute. Right. So if I'm having a difficult time with a family member, son-in-law, If I go, Curtis, we're just going to role play this for a second. Curtis is my son-in-law. And I'm like, you know, Curtis, you're a jerk. I'm totally angry with you, right? I have given Curtis no wiggle room, none. Like now he's just going to get defensive, right? Mm. But if I say, hey, you know, Curtis, a part of me was really hurt by that. And a part of me is is angry. Then what I'm also telling Curtis is there's room. room for other positive emotions. There's room for respect. There's room for love. There's room for resetting. This works beautifully with teenagers, by the mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. So if a teenager breaks a curfew, yeah. instead of being like, I am so angry with you. I'm so disappointed in you. The teenager is going to get really defensive. But if I say, hey, look, you know, a part of me is really disappointed and a part of me was really concerned. Mm-hmm. Like I, I spent this last hour really worrying about your safety. And a part of me is like, this is this can't happen again. So tomorrow when I've calmed down, we're going to talk about what a curfew really looks like. That's a fantastic conversation for resetting. Yeah. And, and Mikhail, I'll just point out one thing you, you just did there, uh, which I really like is it's not only just kind of what you said. And I know we, we kind of do an audio and also a video version of this. But for those that are watching the video is that so, again, this is kind of how you say it, too. And it's like, are you you know, you lean back when you said, uh, you know, part of me is that you you've got real more relaxed in versus, you know, so which means like, again, you're, you're able to receive and you're able to have the conversation versus being aggressive and leaning forward and really getting aggressive with your body language. You, you know, you were leaning back a lot more in, in kind of, again, showing that you're open to conversation that wasn't an attack. So I'd really like that you did that too as a nonverbal, which I, again, I know not everyone can kind of see as part of the audio version of this podcast, but I want to point out that as well. It's, it's also what you're showing. Been one of the things that I noticed really quickly. I, so I started off as an elementary school teacher. That was what I did before I went corporate, before I, before I, I started down my, my entrepreneurial path of training and education. But as an elementary school teacher, one of the things that I noticed very quickly was that children listen when you talk very quietly. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're the teacher that yells all the time, they're going to tune you out. 
Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't raise your voice when you need to get somebody's attention across the room, but we want to be heard. We want to be respected. And so the it's interesting that in order to lean in, I lean back. And that sounds ironic, but I pull back. So in like in my toughest conversations in my personal life, so I, we have teenage girls in our life. I pull back and I talk very quietly. Mm-hmm. The girls know that when I'm talking very, very quietly, I am probably really, really angry. <laughs> like, but, but it's a much more approachable way that I'm angry with you because then mm-hmm. mirror um, people, people mirror in their language. So like, for instance, if I'm all volatile, it's likely that that person's volatility is going to raise as well. Mm-hmm. And so when I calm down, either what happens is people calm down with me or, and this can happen, their energy can escalate, but I'm able to absorb it because we're both not at that same high mm-hmm. level. I like it. That's great. Amy Kay, I want to kind of take a second here and look at, you know, we're using this this episode, this conversation as a whole to kind of use communication to get what you want in retirement. You know, that's kind of our target here. And now I'm going to take the time to plug your book. So your book titled, Get It, Five Steps to the Sex, Salary, and Success That You Want. So can you just talk about, you know, a few lessons or a couple key takeaways from that book that you think you would want or that people, you know, pre-retirees or retirees could sort of take away from that book? It's never too late to get what you really want. It's Mm -hmm. never too late. Mm -hmm. The only thing that makes it too late is if you don't ask. And so I think that the two tips that I would give right now are really getting clear on what it is that you want without justifying it, without trying to explain it. Just ask yourself, what what do I really want? And then how do I want to feel when I get that? So that you can start to feel that now so that you can get closer to it. I'll give you an example. There was a gentleman that I was talking to and he really wanted a house on the water. And I said, well, how do you, how do you feel when you have that house on the water? He's like, I feel free. And he says, and, and I, I feel connected to water. That's really important to me. I said, well, then let's get you free and connected, free and connected now. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting. The first thing that he did is he bought a painting of an ocean scene and he brought it into his office. Hmm. And I, and he's like, I'm okay. I'm one step closer to getting to the beach house. And I really believe in that. Like, I really believe in bringing those things one step closer. And so now he's got his house on the water. And what's interesting is, and this is the conversation that I had with him, if you don't feel free now, what makes you think you're going to feel it Mm -hmm. in the beach house? Because it's a choice. The beach house doesn't actually make you free, feel free. It's the story in your head that I feel free. And so just by getting a painting, it's like, oh yeah, I'm one step closer. I feel more free right now. It's like, that's how it works. You've got to choose it here and now and take action on it. The second thing that I would say from the book is Ben started the whole conversation by introducing me as yes, life happens one conversation at a, at a time. I would add to that. The quality of your life is a direct reflection of the quality of your conversations. Mm -hmm. And the longer that you put off the tough conversation, the longer that you avoid it, the longer you avoid getting what it is that you want, which is the life that you so very much desire. And so to set yourself up for success, think about how do I go into the next tough conversation with a how might we question? Mm. How do I think about making it the law of reciprocity so that Curtis and Abby and Ben get what they want and I get what I want? How do I think about the questions that I'm going to ask? Because adults hate to be told. We love to be asked. And then how do I, how do I make an offer or a request coming out of that conversation? So to keep the action going. So if we go full circle on the couple where he had never shared that he wanted to be a pilot, Mm. 
She has an obligation if she really truly loves her husband to keep that conversation going and keep asking, well, then how might we make this happen? And let's have some turtle steps. And how can I support you? And what, what can I do for you? Or I have a request of you. Let's get into this. Let's put some money aside. Let's make this happen. And if he says, no, 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 I really don't want to. It's an old dream. Then she needs to say, is it an old dream? Yeah. Or it is a dream that you still have that you just feel like people are going to judge you for. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if it's really an old dream, then we'll get a new dream. How might we create one that you can get excited about? But if it's still a dream, then how might we make it come true? Mm. Love it. That's great. So I'll lead into this kind of wrap up question for you, Amy Kay. Um, it's very evident to me. And I think speaking for Abby and Ben and all of our listeners, just how much you help people and the work you do and how impactful it is. But I want to switch it around now and focus on you and not you helping people. So Retirement Success in Maine is the name of the show. I want you to think about kind of what you want or what you envision your retirement going to be like and how do you think a successful retirement can be for you? For me, I would define success as the ability to have pleasure and purpose simultaneously. That what I'm doing brings me joy Mm -hmm. and it's significant. I just very much believe that we're here to serve. And when you find the gift that you've been given or, or the talent that you cultivate, mm. that's how you give back. And, you know, I don't, I don't make tequila, but I'm, I'm glad there's somebody that does. <laughs> um, but we all have our own gifts, you know, and, and my gift is this. And so I think in retirement, whatever retirement looks like, it's going to be the same definition of success, that there's mm. pleasure and purpose. I want to sit right at the intersection of both that I'm really enjoying my day-to-day and I feel like I am significant in those days. Love it. Well, Amy Kay, we really can't thank you enough for coming on today because, again, I know we could probably go for another three more hours with you and <laughs> and our listeners probably would be engaged for the whole next uh, next round of it. But this is so great because, I, again, I, from a communication perspective, it's a, it's a fundamental foundational tool, but it is the barrier. It is the roadblock with a two kind of getting to those things that we've been trying to describe for another 24 episodes backwards. So this is, this is a, a fundamental foundational thing for us. And we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Thank with you us. for inviting me. It's <laughs> been a true pleasure. Thank you. All right. Take care. See you next time. So of course the theme of today's show, mastering communication, right? And, you know, I, I think at the surface, you, you can start rolling your eyes like, Oh, okay. Uh, we're going to, we're going to teach me how to discuss things. Like, really how old are we right you know so you know i i think look and some of this is just being honest in terms of perspective and i think once you go through it you go man all of us have something to improve here right is Mm -hmm. i think we can all take something away you don't have to be a retiree a pre-retiree or a financial advisor or whoever you know we can Mm -hmm. all be better in communicating you know our wants our goals our desires or you know you hurt me you know, and to be safe enough. And how do I say it in a way that doesn't cause you to go in the defense? So I, I yeah. think Amy Kay did a really great job um, in our show today about really addressing all that, right? And really trying to pick apart, as she said, that ball of yarn and the knots that are in there. And, you know, we all have probably bad experiences on things we shouldn't have said <laughs> and, yeah. and how it's really burned us. So that was really great. I want to, of course, we always wrap up our shows with uh, lessons that we've learned, right? Mm. And and one of the things I want to do is kind of take that yellow highlighter out and just kind of highlight some of the things that uh, that we learned from Amy K. Hutchins today. 
So maybe Abby, could you kind of start us off with with something you took away from our conversation on the show today? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I found it very interesting when we were talking about being anxious about having a tough conversation. And she said, you know, when your body is reacting, like your face is getting red or you're, you're getting choked up or your throat is getting tight. That's just your body telling you how important the conversation is. And the other mm-hmm. person in the conversation, it's helpful if they recognize it, right? So not to be embarrassed about any of those things. It's just you recognizing that it's important. I think that's a great way of looking at it in our own heads, because oftentimes if that's happening to us, we start feeling embarrassed and then the conversation quality goes down quickly. So, mm-hmm. you know, retraining your thought process to being like, this is just a body reaction. It's normal is a great way of of looking at it. So I really appreciated that. Which of course, uh, I would even say personally, and maybe privately for us in terms of this show, right? Is it, mm-hmm. it's a tough thing to go just start, you know, being out there and recording yourself. And so I think we all had to go through that, right? Even within our profession, but mm-hmm. then even to something now you're you know putting out there for to be judged. So it's, it's you're right, exactly right. It's because you care. Right. And, yeah. and, and it doesn't matter if you're saying that to, you know, the person you love the most or, you know, you're buying a sandwich at Subway, right? Is it, it's, it's, it's that sort of thing. Right. So Curtis, in regard to what you kind of took away today, I know I outed you a few times uh, <laughs> on uh, conversational importance, but um, can you, uh, can you highlight a little bit of a lesson you took away? Yeah. Um, I really loved uh, when Amy Kay was talking about her, her magic words or magic phrases. Um, and I, I believe they're in her book as well, um, kind of highlights through them. But one that really stuck out to me was the the phrase part of me, like leading the conversation with or the the negative feedback you're going to have or give to somebody and leading with part of me. And I think the story she or the example, she pretended I was her son-in-law and she opened with, you know, I'm so disappointed. I'm so hurt. That was terrible. And then using her example of part of me. And she said, you know, part of me was hurt by what you did. And what it really does is it, it acknowledges for the, the person receiving that comment that there is still space, you know, to earn back respect or to, you know, that you didn't destroy everything. Maybe just a part of it was bad. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I'm glad she shared that with us. Yeah. And I, I like that, too, because, again, where we sometimes you deal in absolutes and, Again, the, the message can be harder, you know, in terms of, you know, you, you kind of put it out there in a very hard way and you maybe didn't mean it that way. And again, mm. the, the, the idea of sometimes we say things that we don't mean um, mm. or we don't mean it to be as harsh as what it came out as. Or again, the other side is, oh, I, I loved your blueberry pie, uh, Abby. <laughs> and now all of a sudden I'm, I get an apple uh, blueberry pie every day because right? <laughs> I love, 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 love it. Right. Yeah. All of those things, I think, can cause relationship traps, right, is is kind of being absolutes. And, and, and I think those are important things of kind of being mindful. And as you mm-hmm. said about uh, the, 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 the phrasing, one thing that I'll say is, you know, I like that what she was kind of saying is just being kind of purposeful to, to these communications, right, mm-hmm. is just thinking through it and just uh, kind of the pre-planning. And I'm not saying that every conversation we all have ever, it needs to be pre-planned. But, you know, there's ones that, you know, I could see where this has potential for something to go bad and somebody to get upset about it. So yeah. maybe just kind of, as she said, like she did a few times role-playing it. Mm. We're playing with a safe person and say, well, if I said this, how would you feel about that? Or, you know, just giving a little sense or even if it's just privately, personally, you're out on the porch and, you know, you're at 6 a.m. with your coffee uh, out on the porch uh, thinking about things in life is maybe you're just thinking about that conversation in a way that 
is approachable, yeah. that is sensitive to how somebody else is feeling and give them a chance to respond. I think those are really good, not just communication lessons, those are good life lessons to have. Yeah. So, well, of course, we will wrap up today's show on that note. But again, mastering communication to get what we want in retirement, uh, to get more information. Again, we'll have Amy Kay's book link there with several other uh, kind of tools, tips, and resources there. Mm-hmm. So if you go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash 27. You can find more about our show and get some more resources. But of course, we always uh, appreciate you tuning in for more resources or you you have a point you want to make, please reach out to us. We'd love to connect with people. And and if there's something we can help out with, we're helpers by nature and we want to help. So uh, feel free to reach out. But until next time, uh, be safe and be well. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisor's mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.